Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Joel. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to have a Bible study today, and uh, we get to look into your word, and I pray that your word would be anointed and clear and helpful. Lord, we need all scripture. All scripture is breathed by you. It is perfect. And so, Lord, may your word speak to our hearts, and may it do its work in our hearts today. Lord, may we be good students of the Bible. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important to be a good student of the Bible. We, we had lunch yesterday with a pastor from Monterey that I used to work with. And he said that the, the church now, they, everybody just puts their head right into the Bible. They just study, you know, the whole church. They, just, they study. That's pretty good. That's what we want. We want to know the Bible. Well, um, <clears throat> Paul, when he was in a place in the book of Acts called Miletus. Uh, he met with the elders from Ephesus. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I've not failed to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I'm innocent because I've told you the whole will of God. And so there is a beauty to just teaching the scriptures plainly and simply. We set out a few months ago, not even a year, a few months ago, to cover the Old Testament. And today we begin the Minor Prophets. We're only two weeks away, and I feel God smiling. I feel his pleasure that we've stuck to business and we've done it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we've done it, you know, the law. And then we went into the history books, Joshua, Judges, and all the way through. Nehemiah, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. All the, all the law, all the history. And then, and then we've gotten into the poetry. We've done Job and we've done Psalms and Proverbs. We've given you a taste of, of it. And we see that the Bible is one big, beautiful composition. One book. 66 books, but really just one book. 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books written by one divine author, God. But you, he used farmers to write it. He used fishermen to write it. He used people from all walks of life to, to write this book. So I think God is pleased that, we have covered, that we're covering the word of God. Over the next two weeks, we're going to take samples of the minor prophets. Now, we call them minor not because they're not, I don't know why we call them minor, we just do. Uh, maybe their books aren't quite as long. But the, the major prophets, we covered those, who are they, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. We covered that. And then now we begin the minor prophets. There are 12 of them. And as this little chart that I, we printed off will sh shows you, each of these prophets prophesied at a specific time. You see, in Israel's history, a long time ago, I gave you this printout, too. Uh, in Israel's history, there was a captivity by Assyria. The, the kingdom divided after Solomon. We cover all this. Solomon had idols, and so because of his wives. And so God allowed the kingdom to divide to the north and to the south. To the north, ten tribes called Israel. Capital was Samaria. In the south, two tribes. Capital was Jerusalem. Well, the ten tribes in the north never had a righteous king. They never had a righteous king. And so they were the first to be captive because of their idolatry. Golden calves. God allowed the enemies to overtake them. 
And you know, if we have idols, the same thing would happen to us. And so the Assyrians swept down, and the Assyrians actually in about 735 BC swept into the northern part of Israel and captured them. However, there were good kings in the south, and so in the south it was 135 years later that they went into captivity to Babylon. Now we've covered that before. So when you're talking about a prophet, some of the prophets wrote really early, like in 900 B.C., and the one that we're going to study today, Joel, is one of those. And this is why your chart is not accurate here on that. I'll get back to that in a minute. And... uh, but they wrote before the captivity in the north. Then others wrote before the Babylonian captivity. So you have to know at what period of time was the prophet speaking. The point is that God always had a prophet. It would be like he always has a prophet. Warning them and challenging them to walk with God. So hopefully that chart will be helpful to you. And the one thing I would tell you, if you've got a pen, you can mark it right now, is I do not agree that Joel prophesied in 450 B.C. There's only a couple of commentaries that say that. The majority of the better scholarship, so, so why did I print this? I don't know. I mean, it just, I just did. After it was printed, it, I looked at, oh, no. We, but it used a lot of ink, so I thought I'd keep it. But I think that Joel prophesied much, much closer to, nine, to the 9th century B.C. So that's, you put this, fold it, keep it, and I hope it's helpful to you. All of these things you can find on the internet today, you know that. You type in there, minor prophets, and you can see it yourself. Right, right, of course. Okay, there you go. Um, so, Lord willing, we're going to do Joel today and the book of Jonah next week. Jonah's fun. So read ahead. Read the book of Jonah. <clears throat> Joel, the name Joel means Jehovah is God. And as I say, the better scholarship says he probably wrote in the 9th century B.C. We know very little about him. Very little. We know the name of his father. <laughs> there's just, and that's why there's, that's why comedy is a 9th century. Sometimes we don't, we just know this is in the Bible. Now I believe with some of the other writers, I believe he may have been the first prophet ever to write the book among the prophets. Ninth century B.C. at the time of Elijah and Elisha and the time of King Joash. If that's true, this would be the oldest book of all the prophets. And Joel is even quoted by Amos. The theme of this book is, drumroll, the day of the Lord. That's a phrase that you should become familiar with. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a period of time from when the church is raptured, the seven-year great tribulation, and then the second coming back to the earth of Jesus Christ. The church is raptured. That's a good thing. The world enters into a seven-year tribulation. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, he said, there will be tribulation as was never before. And never will be again. The great tribulation, as never before, in Matthew 24, 21. That's the day of the Lord. So let's begin reading. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days? 
or in the days of your forefathers. Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has eaten, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. So he says, he begins and he says, look, hey, elders, verse two, you old guys, have you ever seen anything about what's like what's going to happen? And, and you, never. The great tribulation, a lot of old guys will go, yeah, well, I saw World War Two or I remember this. or Yeah, but there, when the great tribulation comes, n- there's nothing that's going to compare. There has never been an event like what's coming up. Let me ask you, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you think there is a coming judgment on planet Earth? Do you think? I'm one. My hand's up. There is a coming judgment. So you can put your hand down. But so when we speak of the day of the Lord, it's not because we as Christians like doom and gloom. Oh, boy. It's because man's sin is leading to God's judgment. And God even tells us in advance that there's a judgment coming. I love the United States. I pray for President Trump. I, 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 I like, you know, it's not that you don't like life, but there is a coming judgment. And the, book, the Bible lays it out for us. Otherwise, what do we have the book of Revelation for? It's not just a historical allegory. It's a future event. And so the day of the Lord, and he says, tell your children, warn them. The, and then in verse four, where he says the locusts have come, he actually in the in the Hebrew there's different. It's called a canker worm. It's four different stages of a locust. And as he refers to the locust, literally, he's talking about the little insect that travels in in a group. And it says in Proverbs thirty, locusts travel together. And it comes through and it sweeps all the you know, place. Could be green, it's beautiful, and the locusts come in. <laughs> nothing left. Just destroyed. This actually happened in Palestine in 1915. I've never seen such a thing except in movies. And in, but locusts can just, can just sweep through and completely destroy. So literally, I think he is talking about locusts. But also, he's talking about an army that will sweep down from the north, probably referring in advance, predicting the Assyrian army sweeping down and destroying the nation. And so this is the warning he's giving them. So the day of the Lord is the attack by the Assyrians, but it has an echo effect into the great tribulation in the book of Revelation. You see, just prophecy has an echo effect. Israel will be back in the land. Well, they were after after Babylon, but there's a long term effect. They will be again in 1948. So when you see scripture, look for the echo effect into the last days. And that's what this is, the day of the Lord. So he says, wake up, verse 5, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning. Those who minister before the Lord, the fields are ruined. Their ground is dried up. Their grain is destroyed. Their new wine is dried up. 
The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree. All the fields, trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Have we cheered you up so far? Okay, we're going to just wait. We're only getting started, okay? You know, in the Bible, we want the whole counsel of God, no matter what it says to us. And I just, you can just picture that this harvest being destroyed. The joy of mankind is withered away. That day is coming. That day is coming. The Bible speaks of the laughter of fools. It's like, it's like um, the, a thorn bush under a pot. You ever you've seen a tumbleweed? Have you ever heard a tumbleweed burn in a fire? Throw a tumbleweed on a little, a little and it goes pop, 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 and it's gone. You know, and the laughter of this world is empty. Now, God's not against laughter. Laughter is a good medicine. Christians laugh. Christians have joy. But the joy of this world is going to be taken away during the Great Tribulation. And by the way, in the Great Tribulation, in Revelation 9, there are literally locusts that come out of the abyss. Remember? Yep. During that seven-year period, you have... Uh, actually, I believe the, the... My view of the Great Tribulation, you want to know, okay? The Rogers view. You do your own homework because there's a lot of views. I believe that the Lord is going to rapture the church. I think that's the next thing. In an hour you think not, the Son of Man will come. Watch and be ready. I'm coming soon. Put the oil in your lamp. Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. I don't know the day or the hour, but I think the evidence is that he's coming soon. After he takes the church up, he says, come up here. And the church is raptured. It's carried up. Then the Antichrist, the white horse, will come on the scene. And I believe that for the first three and a half years of the seven-year period, he will have a peace program that will unify the world. Now, I don't know what will bring that about. Some people think that the Russian invasion of Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39 will be the thing that provokes the need for the Antichrist to rise to power and bring peace. I don't know. But I, I, I do know that the Bible speaks of the, the taking up of the church, the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. And then the white horse in Revelation chapter 6, where Jesus opens the seals and the first horse is white, and he conquers with a bow without any arrows. The Antichrist is going to have a peace program. Daniel says, with peace and flattery, he will subdue. And then, in the middle of the seven-year period, after Israel's been able to rebuild their temple, and they're offering sacrifices again, Israel's happy, they're coexisting with the Dome of the Rock Mosque, the new rebuilt Jewish temple, and they're, 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 everything seems to be peace and safety, sudden destruction will come. And the Antichrist will stand up saying, declaring himself to be God in the temple, and he'll, say, he'll put an end to the sacrifices, and he'll say, I'm God, worship me. Jesus said, when, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, let the reader understand. Spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Daniel describes this in, in chapter 9 of, of, of his book. The, the temple standing, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says he, that he will stand, he, the Antichrist will stand up in God's temple demanding to be worshipped as God. So, what's coming? 
The church is going to go home to be with Jesus. I believe that. And then the, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. And then in the second half of that seven-year period, the three and a half years, consecutive judgment falls upon the planet. That's the, the most terrible part of the day of the Lord. Se- seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. It's in Revelation. We may study it. You, you probably have studied it before. And, the God, and God's wrath is poured out on planet Earth. And then Jesus returns with us. We, we ride with him to the Earth. And he sets up a thousand-year millennium, some kind of a restored Earth. And there's still people on it. And we rule and reign with Christ in new bodies where we can never we're not sin again. We're already redeemed. And then we're, we, we live eternally in a place called the New Jerusalem. That's the layout of the Bible. But there is this coming thing called the day of the Lord. There is a coming judgment. And it's only now being restrained by the presence of the church. But when God takes the church out of the way, the Antichrist will come on the scene. Verse 13 of chapter 1. Put on sackcloth, O priest, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. What a dreadful day. For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about, because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures. And flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up. And fire has devoured the open pastures. If you read on your own the book of Revelation, you, don't, you know that incredible devastation is coming. Chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was old, nor ever will be in ages to come. The Bible describes an army of 200 million in the book of Revelation. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Behind them the land is like the Garden of Eden, are before them, and then behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like crackling fires coming, consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. 
They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like these, they enter through the window. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now I know I have you cheered up. This is, this is the word of God. There is just this coming. Th- I don't understand everything here except that I believe it. Like a little child, I believe the word of God. And I hope that you do too. And there is this coming day, the day of the Lord. It's dreadful. And the Bible predicts it. We are told in Hebrews eleven twenty five, get together all the more as you see the day approaching. You'll see the day of the Lord referred to throughout scripture. You need to know what it means. So verse 12, chapter 2. I'm going to read this whole thing this morning, guys. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me. Now, he, now he's going to give him a chance to repent. He says, repent. Even now, re- return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garment. Notice that. I could tear my clothes right now, but not mean it. He says, let it be from your heart. Change your heart. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. That's, I have met next to that in my Bible, Exodus 34, verse 6. It's a description of God, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. God wants to forgive. God is, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God doesn't take any joy. It says in Ezekiel, I take no joy in the death of the wicked. But he's calling, so he's calling for repentance. Verse 14, who knows, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders and gather the children. Let those nursing at the breast let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is your, their God? And the Lord replies, then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain and new wine and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive the northern army far from you, pushing it into a parched and barren land, with its front columns going into the eastern sea, and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he has done great things. Be not afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you a teacher 
for righteousness. Possibly a reference to Jesus. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain, and vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And I love this verse. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you're full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years the, the worm has eaten. King James, the canker worm, the, the worm. Think of what sin does to us and the years that were wasted living in sin. And God says, I'm going to repay you. All that destruction that has come, now I'm going to give those years back to you. I'm going to make you fruitful. I came out of a movement, Calvary Chapel, where a lot of guys had been into drugs before they became Christians. One of my ones that I admire is a guy named Mike McIntosh in San Diego. He had had so many drugs as he came to Christ at age 27, about the same time I did. And he actually put a gun to his head to commit suicide. Thought he'd pulled the trigger. He thought he'd blown, his brains had been blown out. He was on a drug trip. And he was completely out of it. And he, he gets saved, becomes a Christian, and becomes a, a preacher. And he's used to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people. God wants to restore. He wants to forgive. And I like this verse, never again will my people be shamed. Never again. Romans chapter 10 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one who trusts in him will ever be put to shame. God takes our shame away, our guilt away. And so here, what I see by way of an outline is... First of all, that there is a coming judgment. Then there is a call to repent. And as we repent, there is mercy given. God's mercy. Verse 28. See if you recognize this. Verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So verse 28, as you probably know, is quoted in the, the New Testament in the book of Acts. You remember on the day of Pentecost, they had been waiting, and 120 of them were in the upper room, they were praying, and suddenly there was a sound of a mighty wind, and there were appeared to tongues of fire, and they began to speak in different languages, glossalia, languages. And they were declaring the wonders of God. And a big crowd formed in Jerusalem. And they were hearing these people speak in different dialects. And 
one guy said, I, it's because they're drunk. And Peter went, no, these men are not drunk. It's nine in the morning. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so he immediately, Peter quoted this scripture from Joel. The beginning of the church age, the birth of the church. And Peter then gave a sermon in which he said, you crucified Jesus, but it's written that the Holy One will not see decay, quoting Psalm 16. And God raised him from the dead. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And he warned them and he pleaded with them and he warned them. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. 3,000 people. And the gifts of the Spirit were poured out upon the church. They were able to have visions and dreams. The old men dreamed dreams. (laughs) Young men see visions. God speaks through visions. He speaks through dreams. And he gives to the church the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is his power. The Holy Spirit, is. it says in the New Testament, two places, is a deposit guaranteeing the things to come. And 1 Corinthians 12 lists the various gifts of the Spirit. Bless you. There are gifts of the Spirit that are poured out upon the church. And the Bible describes the gift of giving, the gift of mercy, the gift of healing, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of interpreting tongues. The gift of leadership, administration. There are various gifts. And the gifts are also listed in Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. There's a list of gifts. When you became a Christian, when you said, Jesus, come into my heart, that was your Pentecost day. And the Holy Spirit comes to you and he he gives you the gifts of the Spirit. And the church age begins... And as the church age began 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, it continues until now. We are in that present age called the church age. And it's also known as the last days. The last days are actually the entire last 2,000 years. We have been in the last days since the first century. They were expecting the return of Christ in the first century. And here we sit 2,000 years later saying we expect Jesus to come back. So God pours his spirit upon the church as predicted by the prophet Joel and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now it says in verse 31, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. So a lot of people, I I think that's going to happen during the great tribulation. It's described there. there You go to websites now about coming of the Lord. Some people will say, oh, there's a blood moon tonight. Because once in a while there is a blood moon. But I, I personally don't get real excited about whether the moon is blood colored. Because I believe this is a reference to what's going to happen um, later after the church is taken to be with Jesus. So <clears throat> we are in the church age. God has been merciful. The day of the Lord is coming, but he's merciful. And the church has been ber- And we are in the age of grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so mercy triumphs over judgment. All of this judgment that, that is in the Old Testament is there Rightly so. God's wrath is is justifiable wrath. He's holy. 
And yet he's merciful and he sent Jesus to die for us. Chapter 3. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means the Lord judges. There I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations, and they divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I have done? Are you paying me back? I will swiftly, if you are paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of their places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Literally, a time is going to come when God will judge the nations, so to speak. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, it says, I was hungry and you fed me. And enter into the joy of the Lord. And it's the goats, he says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. And he said, when you did this to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. That parable has something to do not just with our individual Lives, but with nations that either bless or oppose Israel. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, uh, I will curse those who curse you. And there is a coming judgment of the nations. And God speaks of that here, uh, entering into judgment concerning uh, my inheritance, my people Israel. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Jesus is going to judge. Right now, all the nations of the world are against Israel. This is predicted in the Bible, isn't it? Right? In uh, Zechariah, it says, all the nations will gather against them, and and those, I will make her a a cup of trembling, and I'll make her an immovable stone, and the nations that try to move her will injure themselves. One of the things the United States still has in its favor is that President Trump put our embassy in Jerusalem. That happened not only in your lifetime, but in your last five minutes, virtually, very recently. It, is a, it, it, is, it bodes well for the United States in, in that respect. Now, that could change. He could get impeached, and we could go down the wrong path very quickly. I don't know what's going to happen. But standing with Israel is a good thing. And the nations that oppose her um, do so at their own peril. Verse 13, swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full, 
and the vats overflow, so great is their wickedness. Revelation 14 describes uh, the vats of the, the grapes of wrath, if you will. And it describes the blood of the horses being as high as the bridle for 180 miles. I don't know if that's literally going to be horses or not, but can you imagine blood for 180 miles at Armageddon? If you climb up to Mount Carmel in Israel, or no, climb up, you can take a bus up, and you get out and you look from where, probably where Elijah offered, called fire down from heaven, Mount Carmel, you can look out and you can see the valley of Armageddon, Megiddo, today. It's huge. It's a huge space where the valley of Armageddon will be fought. And I don't know all the particulars, but I know that the Antichrist, the armies of the Antichrist, will gather, and the world will be seduced. There'll be some kind of a battle going on there, and Jesus will come back with the armies of heaven. And it says that the harvest, the grapes are, are ripe. There is a coming judgment. The present world was destroyed by flood, the previous world was destroyed by flood, and this present world is, is reserved now for fire. Judgment is coming. It makes you unpopular. Well, you know, Pastor, why don't you talk about the love of God this Sunday morning? Why don't you do something cheerful? I want you to know the Bible says there is a coming judgment. That shouldn't make us mean-spirited, but it should create urgency in our existence and our purposes, particularly evangelism. Verse 14, a powerful verse. Verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Oh, oh, oh what hangs in the balance right now? Millions of lives. Decisions that need to be made for Christ. God said, the harvest is great, Jesus said. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers out into his harvest field. The nations of South, in South America, in Africa, in Asia. Judgment is coming. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. And I know that I'm just talking to a church of a few people, but now I want you to pretend that you're in a great big stadium with me, okay? Are you pretending? There's thousands of people. I'm Billy Graham. You got a good imagination? Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not Billy Graham. But this is, this is what the nations need to hear. Multitudes are in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near. Receive Christ today because judgment is coming. Have you been born again? Are you sure? Have you said, Jesus, come into my heart? Because the only thing that's going to keep you from this coming wrath is to have Jesus living in your heart. I, I, some of you may know, a long time ago, I passed out a, a track about fire. I don't even know where I put it in my Bible right now. I have so many bookmarks in my Bible. Do you ever do that, put bookmarks in your Bible? Here it is. See this one here, fire? People said when I, when I ordered these, I said, oh, you're being insensitive to the people of paradise. No, I didn't mean to be insensitive. But this is the thing about stand where the fire has been. I think some of you saw it. How many saw this already? Yeah, and it makes the point that Let's just say that the, the fire has already burnt that way, and, and it's all just open space, and now there's a fire coming this way. Where am I going to run to? Where the fire has already burnt, because there's no more debris. The fire can't go any further. because it's, And so Jesus on the cross already took our sins. And the wrath of God, when it comes, if I'm standing over there where Jesus died for me, 
I'm, I'm good. There's nothing, there's nothing to burn up because my sins are already paid for. And so the importance of receiving Christ, because the judgment that is coming is going to make what happened in paradise seem like nothing. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to be fierce. And I'm led by the Spirit to teach this this morning. And just remind you, the book of Joel stands, it looks forward to the day of the Lord. Now the good news is the church has been born. And in those who are in Christ, you are in good shape. Continue to live for Jesus. This verse makes me want to be a fisher of men. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. We should do the work of an evangelist. The time is near. So verse 15, the sun and the moon will be darkened. The stars will no longer shine. This is the great tribulation. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will tremble. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people. A stronghold for the people of Israel. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul said, it doesn't matter. Circumcision and uncircumcision don't matter. He says what counts is a new creation. And he said, peace to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. In other words, if you're, in, a, in a sense, we are the Israel of God now. There's a biological Israel, but also all who belong to Jesus. God is a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. He's your refuge today. Jesus is my refuge. Verse 17, then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Now we're out in the millennium. This, now we're going to look forward to the thousand year millennium. And Jesus is sitting in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate. Edom, a desert waste because of violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. When I was a new Christian, we used to show movies in the church. And one of them was about uh, Bible studies in San Quentin, the prison. Yeah. And the guy got up, and I remember there was a guy leading Bible studies in San Quentin prison. And they had it on film. And he stood up and he said, he preached the message and he said to the prisoners in the courtyard, he said, you want a pardon? <laughs> this is the pardon you need, this pardon. And that always stuck with me. He said, you want a pardon? And God says, I will pardon. Those I have not pardoned in the past, I will pardon. Do you need a pardon today? Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need a pardon. I deserve the death penalty. I've sinned. But I come to you, Jesus, have mercy on me. He will pardon. The Bible says in our sins and lawless acts, he will remember no more. God loves you so much today. I know I've kind of been preaching a wrath message to the church, and I don't, I'm, God loves you. 
If you who have trusted Jesus Christ, who are washed in the blood, there is no, God is not angry at you today. But you do need to know what time you're living in. You are living in a unique generation in history. The signs are all around us that Jesus is coming again. And if we're to, if we're to believe this book, and we've got to believe all of it, there is a day coming called the Day of the Lord, where the earth will be judged, the earth will be consumed. The elements will melt in fire. And it says, since everything will be shaken, what kind of people should we be? We should live blameless and upright lives. I will pardon. And the last verse of, this, of Joel is what? The Lord dwells in Zion. He will, he will be in Jerusalem. And where is he dwelling right now? He's dwelling in your heart. The Lord dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Joel. Lord, the, the meditation that the day of the Lord is coming. There is warning given in so many books in the Bible. So many of the Old Testament prophets warned, but even in the New Testament, there are warnings of coming judgment. And Father, we, we thank you that we can flee the coming wrath as we take refuge in Jesus Christ. And help us to take this message. Lord, there are multitudes in the valley of decision. I don't know what we can do, but show us how we can be used to reach more of them and tell them about your love. Thank you that you're in the business of saving souls today. Father, I pray you would give spiritual gifts to the members of this church. I pray you'd pour out your spirit afresh on us, that we would dream dreams, that we would see visions, that we would be a church that is spirit empowered. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.